We also have an uh, amazing healing testimony. Claire, why don't you come on up? And uh, that Claire experienced this past week in regard to her, her sinuses. So tell us a little bit about how long you've had the sinus uh, problem and then what the Lord did. Okay. Um, so I've had a sinus infection since the beginning of January, and it was really wearing me down. And um, a few weeks ago, um, asked Travis to pray for me for healing, and the pain went away, um, and it was really awesome. But um, then the pain started coming back this week. Like on Tuesday, it was really severe, and so I went to the doctor, and he actually diagnosed it as something different. It's called trigeminal neuralgia. It's where the nerve in your face gets inflamed, and it's really painful, and there's no cure. Um, so anyways, I asked Travis and Jessica to pray and some other people and we were praying and then on um, that was on Wednesday and then on Thursday I woke up there's no pain and I haven't experienced Woo! anything yes. Yes. thank you Lord so anytime somebody gives a testimony revelation says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy so it's permission granted for God to do it again so raise your hand if you have sinus problems right now or you have chronic sinus problems. Raise your hand. Don't be sh if you want healing, don't be shy now. Here we go. All right. Keep it. Good. All right. So just right now, if, you raised your, if you've had sinus problems or if you're even fighting with the cold right now, just extend your hands out. We're going to pray. Father, we just, re we just release your healing right now in Jesus' name. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And Holy Spirit, we just say, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. We thank you for healing. We just declare that by the stripes of Jesus, they are healed. And if you're receiving prayer, I want you to just say this. Jesus, I receive your healing. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's like uh, Fernando, his uh, spiritual mentor is a guy named Julio Cesar Rabal, who was a instrumental in the Bolivian revival. And if, how many of you all have ever seen these old revival uh, documentaries called Transformations? <laughs> Listen, they're not snazzy produced, but they're powerful testimonies. Like they're, they... It's about cities getting transformed, not just like great church services. It's about like cities that were Inuit villages that were struggling, that there was a spirit of suicide and, and depression, like, and young people becoming drug addicts, like an epidemic, God moving in. And you, you should have, you, and they had it recorded where they're in a, a prayer service to some of the elders of the of the village where they're praying. Man, you, you hear them praying and, and singing? They're all off key. <laughs> and then you just hear, and you hear, oh! Oh! God came in that village and through that prayer meeting and it was a, that was a catalyst for it. The youth, they didn't even know why they're doing it. They gathered all their death metal CDs and put them in a pile and burned them. Depression started lifting. People were being healed of addictions. The land was 
was uh, cursed, basically. They used to have an abundance of antelope, salmon, all this uh, natural resources. And that before, the animal had left. So they were, the economy was really bad. And then when this revival broke out, like antelope, like all the fish, all the game returned to the land. Because Jesus said what he says in Second Chronicles 714. He says, if my people will pray and humble themselves, I will come and do what? Heal their land. Like, heal their land. And so it's not just a metaphor. He'll heal us, but he'll heal the land as well. He's a, he likes doing the whole kit and caboodle. And so, uh, anyways, y'all check those out. All right. So, um, thanks, babe. I got the best-looking assistant up here. She's my Valentine. And, uh, but uh, we're going to do, uh, we've been doing Keys to Abundant Life. Today, I'm going to talk about tearing down bitter root strongholds. And uh, how many of y'all were here when Steve Fish and Marcy Fish were, were here in October? Do y'all remember them coming? Raise your hand. And so Steve gave a word about we're coming into a season of restoration. And uh, we started moving forward with these keys to abundant life, which is, which is about God bringing restoration, bringing, bringing healing, redemption, but also keys to, like, to really how to live life in the kingdom. And then I, re- I remembered the word that Steve gave. And y'all remember when the water main broke on Prince Avenue? It was during that time. And Steve just, the Lord just started speaking to Steve about that water main and how, like, it was this, it was basically this sign of restoration that was coming because they were repairing the water lane, that the God was, you know, repairing the breach, so to speak. So I want to I talk about tearing down bitter root strongholds. There's three desires of God. As we, as we talk about these keys to abundant life, there's, there's three desires of God on his heart. That's what, this is why we're talking about this, okay? The first one is God's will is transformation. He doesn't want you staying the same. He wants you to live abundant life, which is in Jesus. And so you've got this old carnal man that's kind of on the outside, and he's got to get out of the way. He's got to die. And that new man that's been created in Christ has to be able to shine forth. And so Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's desire is for you to be conformed to the image of his son. The promises of God are found in the character of God. He can't help but be good and faithful. Likewise, cooperating with God in the formation of your character releases the promises of God in your life. And so the, the promises are found in God's character. He's faithful. He's good. He's merciful. He's kind, slow to anger. And so when, as, our, as, God, as we cooperate with God and letting him develop us, letting us become more like Jesus, the prom, you don't have to fight for the promises. The promises come to you because it's that place of peace and rest, knowing that you're loved, that the promises are released. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He just knew he knew 
100% in his heart that he was loved by the Father, that he was well-pleasing to the Father. And so he didn't have to strive. It didn't matter what man said about him. The praise of man and the fear of man had no hold on his life. But he just knew that he, he walked in that perfect love. Secondly, God wants you to know that there are reasons why you act the way you do, good or bad. There's a reason why. It's not just like random stuff happening. It's just not a random temper tantrum. It's just not a random uh, fit of comforting yourself with, with a false comfort like drugs or, or whatever. You're made uniquely in your personality, strengths, gifting, and passions. But anything that doesn't line up with the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it has to go if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up, when I was growing up, I had a temper. I was ready. I got in some fights in elementary school and all that kind of stuff. Now, and I, uh, throughout high school and college, I, I, I kept that temper, you know, and so I could have just said, you know, that's just kind of, that's just me. I'm just fire. I'm just competitive. But no, it doesn't look like Jesus, so that thing's got to die. So any of that stuff, there's like, you know what, I just, I just leave people hanging. You know, I, I don't follow up on my promises or I don't uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is, I'm not going to go through a laundry list, but those are things that just have to die and let Jesus um, make new in you. I got a word for you. I'm sorry. What's your name? Kristen? Kristen, I just, uh, I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know that you're beautiful. And I saw words coming out of your mouth. It was like when the words came out, it was like these uh, puffs of incense. They were like, the, you know, whenever the Catholic priest waved the incense, I just saw the smoke coming out of your mouth. And I just felt like the Lord wants you to know that your life, your words, your conversations with him is like a pleasing aroma and his nostrils, like Leviticus 1 talks about, and that he sees that your heart to lay yourself down as a, a, a living sacrifice for him. And so he just wants you to know he sees you, he sees that, and he loves that about you. So, all right. So there are solutions to your longstanding problems. This is the third thing God wants you to know. You've had a battle with something over and over and over. There's a Something keeps, always creeps up. This pattern is in your life of, you know what, every time I get ahead in my finances, the car breaks down or, something, or something's there to, like, steal it. Or, what, you know, it's a pattern. It could be like that. It could be in your relationships where every time I, um, I start to trust somebody, I get betrayed, whatever it is. If it's a pattern that you've seen, then there's a solution. So there's no excuse for not experiencing transformation because Jesus paid it all on the cross. No matter how bad your situation that you came from, Jesus paid it all. And he's got freedom for you. Do not nullify the power of the cross because nothing is impossible with God. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ live in, lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God, who loved me. Say, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves 
and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For, it's the right, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. I like that, that last verse I interpreted as if, if I can just make this happen in my own strength, then Christ died needlessly. If I can just will myself to make this happen, I, you know, I'm just going to become a better person. No, then Christ died needlessly. And the fact is, you don't have the power to just become a better person. He's not interested in making you good. He's interested in making you righteous. So you don't experience transformation by trying harder. You experience transformation by dying and being resurrected. Somebody say resurrection life. Come on. So there's universal laws in this world that apply to everybody. It doesn't matter. Creed, race, color, religion, it does not matter. It applies to you. So example is the law of gravity. If you get a, a Christian, a Jewish man, a Muslim, and a Buddhist all on the top of a thousand-foot cliff and they all decide to jump, jump off, they're, they're going to fall. The only person who might have a chance is a Christian if angels come up. <laughs> I'm just teasing <laughs> But, but you, there's, there's laws that apply to everybody. There's laws that apply to everybody. So it, it doesn't matter. So the law of judgment applies not only to our conscious actions known and, and performed outwardly, but also to what is lodged in our heart, repressed and unknown and unexpressed. So the law, the, there's a, we're going to unwrap this, what the law of judgment is. Okay. But it, it's a universal law that everybody, regardless of religion, regardless of race, creed, or color, all that, that I just said, it applies to you. Okay? So once formed, these judgments bring results. You may consciously be aware of these things, but there's a lot of stuff that happens when you're a child that's repressed. Some people can't even remember their childhood because there's so much pain and trauma. I have a close relative who was um, physically abused as a child. And so as a child in that place of vulnerability without really being able to defend themselves, what she learned to do is she was getting beat, which she would make herself pass out. And so later in life, even at the age of 40, she had a very significant trauma happen. When the news was delivered to her, she made herself pass out like a reflex and that when she when she was uh, would would feel abused or betrayed she would pass out because it was the, tr the little kid in there was responding you all have a child in you that's that needs some of Papa's love and healing all right so these bitter root judgments may be the most powerful negative force in our lives, bringing destruction to us and those around us, okay? Now, there's a positive side to this because you can actually reap good things into your life as well, but we want to focus on the strongholds because these are the things that are really holding us back. So roots are hidden underground. They act as a conduit for nourishment. And so roots are habitual ways we drink nurture from God, others, ourselves, 
and even from nature. So if we have bitter roots, we drink harm to ourselves. So you see the tree there, bitter roots give fruit to, to toxic emotions, toxic responses, toxic ways of dealing with stresses and pressures and circumstances in life. So what are bitter roots? What are bitter root judgments? Okay. These are sinful reactions to hurt. Now, Psalm 130, uh, David said, when did he start being sinful? In his mother's womb. Okay? So you were born sinful. I've got three beautiful children. They tend to sin. But they, and so even if you had the best parents in the world, you can still, how many of y'all have misinterpreted some, something somebody said as an adult? All right, imagine a child with less understanding than you have, less experience in communicating their, their emotions and their heart. Imagine you as a child, like, misinterpreting even what your parents were trying to do. You don't understand that, that your parents, why they're doing and things and whatnot. Now, sometimes your parents may have legitimately been sinning against love, been hurting you, whatever you want to call it. But either way, it's sin. So condemning judgment, we have condemning judgments of people. Refusal or inability to forgive someone is a bitter root. Operations of the unchangeable laws of God, which cause us to reap in kind what we have sown. So, the world has language for this. You know, the world, sometimes the world calls this karma. The Bible calls it reaping what you sow. The reason they call it karma is because it applies to everybody. It's, it's a universal thing. And so, other people have recognized this, and they just called it karma. But the Bible says this is a universal law established by God. You reap what you sow. And in Hosea, it says if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Now, this will put a little fear of God in you. Whatever you sow, you reap exponentially. It multiplies, whether good or bad. Whenever you give an offering to the Lord, you know, we gave... There's been times where the Lord had us, I'll use this one example. We gave uh, $1,500 one time. We got back from the Lord $8,000. Did we reap exactly what we sowed? No. We got the multiplied exponential version of that. Now it works in the, in the opposite. It works in the negative too. And so if you judge your dad for being a, uh, a hothead, and you don't deal with that thing, and you don't forgive him, you're going to be even a bigger hothead than your father was. It's just a universal law. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. All right? You need the fear of the Lord. So they have the power to defile many, including ourselves. These bitter roots will defile others, including ourselves, causing us to drink poison instead of nourishment. Did you know uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person that you have a case against to die. You're like, man, I'm going to get you. 
watch this. And then you, you start rotting away. It says bitterness is like rottenness to the bones. We know people who have had uh, gotten major physical healing just from forgiving. Major physical healing. Jessica saw a woman in Honduras crippled arthritis in her spine, hunched over. She was permanently hunched over like this. They tried to put her in a dentist chair to work on her teeth. She just rocked back and forth like she was a rocking horse. And they, so they took her to the prayer line. They're like, do you have any bitterness against anybody? And they're like, yes, our, our village is, is always, we, we hate this village across the other mountain. And it's like, well, would you be willing to forgive them? And she, she forgave them. And she went, Poof, straightened up and started doing a Honduran jig. Because of forgiveness. That bitterness left. The rottenness in her bones left. She was healed. So the, the Bible's not just like, it's not just poetry. It's like, this is the real deal. It's what's, it means what it says. So the hurtful or terrible things that happen to us, nor the, nor the sins, excuse me, let me read the, the heading. Bitter root judgments are not these things, Okay. So sometimes to know what something is, you got to know what it's not. So bitter root judgments are not hurtful or terrible things that happen to us, nor the sins of those who have wronged us. They are our sins. So this isn't, man, I just wish I had different parents. I just wish I had been raised differently or a different situation. wish this hadn't happened to me. No, it's your response to those situations. It's your response to those relationships. They're powerful enough to overcome, they are not powerful enough to overcome the free will of another, although they do defile. I'm going to go into what defilement is in just a second, okay? So, what is defilement? All right? I think this, this is a video, I'm going to show you a video that's probably the best way to explain this. So, here we go. How many of y'all seen Ghostbusters? Just say, make sure the mute's off. It probably sounds like. Do FN function, whatever that's going. All right. Come in, Ray. I saw it, I saw it. It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move. It won't hurt you. slime me. That's great. <laughs> so he says, he says he slime me. This is what defilement is. <laughs> it's true. It's what defilement is. You know, Jessica gets slimed by my issues all the time. 
And sometimes it can kind of make her feel like she wants to respond in one way. It doesn't go against her free will. But if I'm expecting her to, if Jessica comes home and, uh, and I've, tried, you know, I've tried to clean the house and get it ready because I get home before she does. Yeah, that's totally, totally hypothetical. Just making this up off the top of my head has never happened. So if I, she comes home, I've, I've tried to clean the kitchen up or, you know, and get dinner ready or whatever. And, uh, but if I have an expectation, it's like Jessica's going to find the one thing I didn't do. Because I, I used to have that expectation. And so when she comes home, she's like, hey, um, did you write that check to so-and-so? I'm like, well, well, I guess, I mean, I just I cooked cook dinner and I cleaned up, but the only thing you see is the one thing I didn't do. That's because like, I just asked if you send a check off. But I'm, she's getting slimed right now. I'm just like, <laughs> but it can also, you know, even be stronger than that where she walks into the house and it kind of, she feels even a temptation to want to find something that I didn't do. It can even be that strong. And so that's what a defilement is. That's what your bitter root judgments are. You're, you tend to attract what you're expecting and what you've judged to yourself. If you're married, they get to the, get the participate in it. Primary people in your life get to participate in that. That's typically when these bitter, where these bitter root judgments play out in your relationships. And so... Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Matthew uh, chapter 7, 16 through 20 says, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know, know them by their fruits. So in uh, Malachi, it describes God as a refiner's what? So that refiner's fire that's part of who God is, is part of his agenda is getting rid of all those bad roots to throw them into the fire. That's what the fire of God does. The fire of God's not only just like this passion and like burning zeal for God. But when you ask for the fire of God, you're like, God, I want the zeal. I want the passion. I want the love. You're also inviting the pruning, the refining. And so, and it is good because that's what, it, that's what you want. I, sometimes I pray prayers that I'm like, wow. I, why am I asking for this? <laughs> the other day, I was just like, God, do whatever you have to do to give me a pure heart, to make me a man that's the foot of pride does not step on me. And then I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Did I just pray that? That's when I know the Holy Spirit's praying through me. I was like, I wouldn't pray that <laughs> with my mind. Holy Spirit, that's totally you. 
So unhealthy expectations. This is what I kind of touched on. You have habits of self-fulfilling prophecy by which we push people to fulfill our picture of the way things should go. That's exactly the, the example I gave with Jessica and I. These are some examples. Women will always be critical. Men can't be depended upon. No one ever listens to me. Okay? Those are just a few examples there. So an example of a bitter root judgment, this is kind of like a case study. So you have a man, he's brought up by a critical mother. They feel wounded, or he feels wounded and rejected, and he learns to protect his heart from withdrawing. By, excuse me, by withdrawing. He experiences, his experiences with his mother form a picture of a woman. When he married, he expects and fears criticism and consciously or unconsciously projects his ex expectations onto his wife. He holds her at a dense distance to protect himself. She becomes lonely and appeals to him to share with her her heart and he still withdraws. He interprets this as criticism, whether it is or not, and pulls further away. When she becomes openly critical of his treatment of her, he doesn't see his part in pushing her to fulfill his expectation. And underneath the man's expectancy to be criticized is the fact that in early childhood, he made a powerful condemning judgment against his mother. He soon forgets the judgment, but it is sown a seed with the power to defile, which affects him. He will reap through his wife and other women what he experienced with his mother. Because of the forgotten nature of the sowing, the, re the reaping may come as a surprise to him. That's why some of us are sometimes like, why am I acting this way? It's because you've forgotten about the judgment. So where do we find judgments and expectations? expectancies so sowing and reaping for bitter root judgments and expectancies most often happen in relation to parents and spouses these are your primary primary people your parents and your spouse in particular know you the best okay now if you're not married I'm going to give you this word of advice that we give all everybody that goes through pre-marriage counseling. Zach will tell you. One of the, th one of the things I, I tell the men is like, are you ready to die? I also tell them, you get to die first. Jesus, a husband's called to love the wife like Christ loves the church. Who died first, Jesus or the church? You get to die first. And so what I mean by that is dying is simply by, is through asking, you know, humbling yourself, repenting, or whatever, owning whatever you do wrong, submitting to your wife. It's actually, we're called to, as a husband and wife to submit to one another. I'm not, you know, it's, I mean, I'll say my, my fat, my big friend <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding. So he, this is the perfect. I love this. That was like this is this nailed it on the head, because the 
the daughter is talking to your mom. She's like, Dad, you know, Dad just wants me to do this and that. He said, let me talk to your father. She's like, the man is the head of the family, but the woman is the neck, and she turns the head wherever she wants. I was like, I was, I was like, truth, baby, as I preach. Come on. <laughs> and so, but your your parents, what did, how did Jesus relate to God? What did he call him? Starts with an F. Father. Jesus was the first person to do that in the Bible. Relate to him as Father. And so God is a, he's a parent. And so the way that we've, Jessica touched on this last week, the way that um, our parents, one of the primary purposes of their, their love and affection and raising us or, or lack thereof is it paints a picture of who God is. God is both male and female. That's how the woman and man were formed out of him. We call him father because that's how Jesus related to him in that context. But he's got the whole He's got the whole thing. God, there's a nurturing side of God. There's a warrior side of God. And so both mom and dad, but in particular the fathers, paint a picture of who God is. And so whenever you, uh, you know, your, your judgments are going to happen through your judging mainly your parents because who has the most influence over your life up until 18 years old for the most part? And then your spouses get just to be on the ride with you. They get to jump in the wagon with you. So also in relation to other primary people during our foundational years that can be found. So, you know, siblings, uh, they can cause some of the wounding and whatnot, sometimes with even those who are not primary. Obviously, if you suffered any abuse from anybody outside of the family or uh, even like a, just really wounding words from people, outside the family, that can be a cause for it as well. We are responsible and accountable. This is going back to we own it, okay? We own it. We own our sinful reactions. We're guilty, but we're not condemned. There's a difference. You're guilty, but you're not condemned. Condemned means you're punished. Who paid for your who paid the punishment? Jesus. Guilty means like, yeah, I did it. Jesus means, and condemned means Jesus standing in your stead and taking the punishment of sin, which is death. You did the crime, but Jesus pays the price as long as you allow him to. Now, you have to appropriate that by dying, by saying, Jesus, take this judgment to death on your cross. It's as simple as that. But you've got to ask him to do it. You've got to invite him into the process. You cannot willpower yourself out of this stuff. Because if the if righteousness came through the law, came through your efforts, Christ died needlessly. So guilt brings us to the cross where healing and transformation is found. If you have the fruit, you have the root. It's that simple. If you have the fruit, you have the root. So I want to speak to married couples. I speak, if you're not married yet, 
take good notes. Because if you want to get married, this is going to apply to you. So what happened to this wonderful person I thought I was marrying? Man, it's Valentine's Day and everything. <laughs> I, will, I will tell you this. Um, marriage is, can either be abundant and amazing or it can be a hellhole. There's no in-between. Jesus doesn't deal with neutrality. Doesn't deal with middle of the road. And so you either like give Jesus your marriage or and allow him to uh to make it what he wants out of it or you don't. Now, there's always grace in God. I make plenty of mistakes with Jessica. But there's always grace to be transformed. And maybe you, maybe you're like, "Man, I've I've blown it." I've blown it, but there's always, God always makes th- all things new. As long as you just come back to him, just come to him. Just say, God, just, here it is. Here's, here's my relationships. Here's even my blown relationships. He makes all things new. But I do believe that it's, there's not a whole lot of middle ground in that when you're married. Okay, because you're designed to grind against each other. You're designed to be sandpaper. We all have judgments which we are due to reap, and we draw to ourselves those people who are best designed to deliver that reaping. Mm-hmm. So marriage problems are almost always 50-50. Now, I'll say this. This, might, this could be offensive, but I'm going to have to tell you the truth because it could save your life one day. I... We know, and I've seen it so many times in real life and in, in, in relationships. If Jessica and I had not received, personally, if we had not received inner healing and, and some of these keys to abundant life, somebody would be in jail, one of us would have been an adulterer, somebody would be an alcoholic. Because we had all of that, and we would probably be divorced at some point. Because it's all in the, our family. And we all had judgments against those things. So it was coming down the road, baby. Except the cross got in the way. Boom. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> so when somebody, say you have somebody who even commits adultery, it looks like it's very one-sided. Many times the person who was cheated on, you could find maybe find that, their father committed adultery or so they have an expectation the man's gonna they have a, a judgment against their father for cheating on their husband or their mother and so that's one example there can be lots of different reasons i can't go down all the different reasons but there's reasons it's 50 50 it's almost always 50 50 a wife will most likely do to her husband that which which, which he bitterly judged his mother And the wife will likely reap through her husband the very thing for which she judged her father. I I saw this pillar that says, I've become my mother. That's the law of of judging, you know. Sometimes I was like, man, I judge mom for being a good cook because Jessica can cook. And I I reap that. So that was a good judgment.
It can be painful to discover hidden things about one another. You know, this, is, this could strike home. It could be a little painful, but like discipline is sorrowful in the moment. But what does it reap? It reaps the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you, you want to keep going around the mountain? Or do you want to face your giant and like take the land? You can't, Jessica said this. We've said this the past two weeks, I think. You can't overcome what you don't confront. You can keep running away from the issue. You can even run away to a different city. It's going to be there. You can run away to a different relationship. It's going to be there if you don't deal with it, if you don't give it to Jesus. This leads people to believe they've made a mistake or married the wrong person when it starts getting painful. But our beloved ones trigger whatever we have stored in our hearts. God did not design our mates to make us comfortable. Whether we tend to marry someone with whom our issues fit with theirs like a lock and key. So as we take our sins to the cross, we can enter into blessed relationships with our mates and others, fulfilling God's will for transformation in our lives. So your, your issues are going to fit together, and I want to in particular highlight husbands and wives, like a lock and key. And so I'm going to give an example from Jessica and I's life. So my mom is super sweet. How many of y'all met my mom? She's always been sweet. But me and my brothers could drive her to the point of insanity. I mean, there's times where she asked us to unload the dishwasher probably six, seven times in a row. She's like, somebody help me. She's just in the kitchen all by herself. We're watching TV. All the, guy, all the men are in the living room watching TV. She's like, somebody help me over here. And she's like, somebody unload this dishwasher. And I was like, uh, basketball's on, basketball's on. And, uh, and then finally, she's like, get over here and unload this dishwasher right now. And she has a, and she, went, she, I mean, one time she just grabbed me. She's like, you see what you made me do? You turned me into a witch. Except she didn't say witch. <laughs> she's just like, can you see what you made me do? And so, but, you know, there's, my mom came from a background where her, her father committed adultery. Her father held a gun to her mother's head and threatened to kill her in front of her. She was the oldest one with four siblings underneath her. She had to try to hold it all together as the, as the oldest. But she also, you know, had an expectation of, not really going to be able to trust men, which included her sons. So she had a hard time giving things away to us. So in college, there was a uh, message on my answering machines, like, Travis, have you paid the registrar's office for the tuition? And she left three or four messages in a row about that. And I yelled at the answering machines, like, I heard you the first time. I heard you the first time. Now, Granted, I'm waiting till the last day. And so mom, it's her check that she's gotten from Mary I was on Hope Scholarship, but she's got to pay for this thing through their account. And so she's concerned about it. And in my judgment and the expectancy, she's going to nag me. She's not going to trust me. 
And, then, and there was one time I was standing in the kitchen with my mom, and she was telling me to do this or do that. And I, and I looked at mom. I said, Mom, I'm 22 at the time. I said, you're just going to have to let me fall on my butt. You just and I didn't say it nearly as nice as I just did it right then. But I basically was just like, let go of me right now. And so, but what, over time, because this was, mama's outnumbered. I'm just building my mom up because she's wonderful. Um, but, I mean, as a, even as a kid, it was just, it was a lot of um, just not nagging and that kind of thing. But she, she we were really horrible anyways. <laughs> so, regardless, I had a judgment. Women are not going to trust me, which comes, which manifests as nagging, pointing out the critical, the one thing I did wrong. All right. Now, Jessica, she told you, if you're here last week, her father was out, was an alcoholic. And she, uh, how many years was it that you prayed for him? Four years every night. Four years every night. When her dad would tuck her in, she'd, be, she'd pray for her dad to stop drinking. And he would agree with the prayer and be like, I'll stop, baby. As soon as he shut the door, she could hear the cabinet doors in the kitchen opening where he kept his liquor. And sometimes hear the clanging of the bottles. So four years of repeated, over and over, broken word, broken promise. So she's got an expectation that men are going to be untrustworthy. Now combine this. I've got an expectation. She's not going to trust me. She's got an expectation. I can't trust him. World War III. <laughs> and so we were at church one time before we were dating, and it started even manifesting before we were married. I think we were gay, maybe engaged. And... Um, I had judged my mom for nagging and, and mothering me too much. I'd really had that judgment because I didn't want to be a big boy. And so we were making these flower pots for the GAs, um, whatever program is in the Baptist church. Somebody help me out. And uh, is there GAs? Okay. RAs. It was R I don't know. We're giving it away to somebody. It doesn't matter. And uh, so all we were doing was planting a seed and watering it in these flower pots. And Jessica went, now, Travis, you're going to take this flower pot and you're going to dig a little hole right there. Put that seed in there. You're going to cover it up with dirt, pat it, and then you're going to water it. And I was just like... And I just, I was like, I didn't even say anything. I just like walked out of the church. It was just like. And Jessica, she, you know, she got the vibe that something was wrong. And so, um, so she came up there. She's like, what's going on? I was, going, I was like, I'm not a kid. You're not my mom. Why are you mothering me? 
And so I was reaping what I had sown already in a primary relationship, the woman that was going to be my spouse. Okay, see how it works? So I had this expectation. So what did we do about that? How did we stop that from happening? Father, will you forgive me for judging my mother for not letting me be a man? I repent for judging her. Bring this judgment to death on the cross. Now, nowhere in that prayer is God change my wife, change my mom. It's right here. I, I repent, Father. I forgive. You own it. It's about your stuff. What can you do about somebody else's stuff? Jessica, repent right now for mothering me. I don't want to. Come on. No, I can't do anything. I can't make her repent. I can own my stuff, though. So allowing Jesus to transform these strongholds of bondage into strongholds of victory is a major factor in unlocking our purpose and calling in God. So healing for bitter roots. Number one, this is how you get healed. You want to recognize it. You want to see the patterns, how they're affecting our lives and those of others. What are the patterns in my life? in particular with the primary people of my life, but it could be in other relationships as well. Second, you want to repent. You want to choose change. You want to determine to stop the patterns by bringing judgments and expectations to the cross by prayer. Use the cross in your prayers. Jesus, you died on the cross for all sin. This sin of judgment, bring it to death on the cross. He's outside of space and time. So you can just be like, Boom, right now. Bring it to death. Go back. On that last one, when you choose to change, look at it this way. The moving sidewalks at the airport. Forgiveness. Repentance is a choice, just like when you choose to pray for somebody for healing. If you pray for them, like, man, they got a broke foot. I'm not feeling anything right now, but I'm going to pray for the foot. In Jesus' name, be healed. All right? So forgiveness is the same way. I don't have any feeling. I don't, I don't even want to forgive my dad. I don't want to forgive my mom. You know what? I'm going to make a choice. Father, I forgive my parents. I don't want to repent. I don't feel humble. I don't care. Repent and make a choice. You choose, and once you make that choice, is deciding to get on the sidewalk of the grace of God. So I step on there. Father, I choose to forgive. Boom, Holy Spirit now has permission to start moving in your life. The third is your prayer. How do you pray? You pray prayers of forgiveness. Lord, I forgive my dad for A, B, and C. 
And then you pray, Lord, forgive me for judging, resenting, hating my dad. Forgive me for perpetuating those attitudes in my present relationships. When I've repented for something, I'll, repent the, I'll ask God to forgive me for the way it's affected Jessica, for the way it's affected my children. And then I'll ask Jessica, will you forgive me for bringing you into this? Will you forgive me for the way it's defiled you? Will you forgive me for the way this hurt you? So forgiveness is a choice you make to agree with God's will and desire for your life. It's like getting on a moving sidewalk. Now, whatever you don't forgive, you get to keep. You get to keep that thing if you don't want to forgive. Whatever you don't forgive in someone will be reproduced in you. You also want to pray prayers of death. This is what, when you hear me say bring to death, this is what I'm talking about. Prayers of death. <laughs> These, it sounds ominous, but it's liberating. You pray these prayers, they demolish structures of judgment and expectancy, habits, attitudes, reflexes, by taking them to the cross. Lord, bring those practices to death by the power of your cross. Okay, that's an example of how you pray that. Bring these practices to death by the power of your cross. Then you pray prayers of resurrection life because the cross is not just about death, is it? It's about resurrection. That's what we're getting to. That's what we want. So you, we pray prayers of resurrection life. Lord, reverse the old pattern and cause its glorious opposite to happen. Restore to new life. This imparts expectancy. You're expecting the resurrection side. God, you know what? I brought the death to sin. Now there is the glory side that makes God so beautiful. It's not just about, man, I, got, I dealt with the sin and... That's that. He's like, man, there's a glory. There's abundance on the other side of this because you, ch you made a choice to bring to death this thing. You chose to humble yourself. You chose to confront this giant, and you chose to, to, to get on the sidewalk that so Holy Spirit can help you out. So I want you to stand up. Okay. Um, so I had two things kind of one is, um, if you're not married, you're not like free at last, free at last. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I know it's a bummer. So Toddy and I are really good friends and we also work together. And so our junk comes out on each other all the time. So I like totally slime Toddy. And every once in a while, she gets some slime on me. But her issues totally come out on me. Like, she'll, whatever she expects or those judgments that she has, like, that's what we fight about. But we're so close that it actually comes out. You know what I mean? So this usually doesn't happen with people that you just kind of associate with. It's more like roommates or really close friends you've been friends with for years that you really, like, get to know you. Or you might be one of those people that just don't let people get to know you. So you're like, I don't have any issues. Well, there you go. That's your issue. And so it's not very fun. It's kind of lonely being right all the time. 
not having that kind of pain enter in, it's, it's a, not a, it's a lonely place. So anyway, the other place that you'll find these things are in people of authority in your life. So y'all have heard for years, Travis tells stories of Coach Rosine and how the impact he had on his life and the things that Steve and Marcy Fish have taught us and all of these kinds of things. Like that people have an amazing impact on our life in a positive way and we love to share those stories. But the negative impact we just have to deal with. But sometimes we just ignore it. So if, you, if all your bosses have been psychotic, then, you know, ask why. You attract those kinds of people in your life, unless you like it. If you like it, you just get to keep it. That's what the last slide said. Um, so you know how. Don't forgive. Um, it's really awesome. And so walking with the Lord is not, it was never meant to be easy. And I think that's something that we... And preparing for the harvest, when you get saved, it's the most amazing moment of your life, right? Because Jesus comes and makes all things new. But it was never meant to end there. That was the beginning of a journey with the Lord. And he sweat blood in the garden for you. So if we think we're just going to walk through kicking our heels, then we didn't read the whole book. Is it in the Bible? Read it. It's even worse than what we're talking about. I mean, it's rough in there, what they had to go through, you know? Read Paul, what he, what happened, you know? And if this stuff offends you, then you're in the right place. Because the word is offensive. The truth of God is offensive. I mean, that's the reason that they said the the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Blessed is those, are those who do not get offended at me. Blessed are those who just hang in there. So if you want healing, go ahead and be offended. It's totally fine. So we give you permission to be offended. That's totally okay. But just don't run away from it. Be offended and dig in there. You're not alone. People in this room have been offended. You're looking at somebody who's been offended. So it's totally okay to be offended. Do you have something else for that? So I felt like um, at the end of worship today that there was, a, there was an opportunity for addictions to be broken off this morning very specifically. And there are people here that, a lot of people here, that have experienced freedom from addiction in some area. But that does, you know, it may be that we have some other area of addiction that we want freedom from. So, um, so the, the list, I think it was back a slide, it was like recognize it and repent, you know, it's that whole thing. Um, so we want to join with you in getting freedom for whatever addiction that you may have. And, you know, in, in the 12-step program, it says, you know, the first step is recognizing there's a higher power. And you have to know that God is the way for your freedom. And there may be people who have other, other things you want prayer for, and we'll totally have our ministry team up here after this. But if you want freedom from addiction of any kind, I'm going to ask you, oh, and I need Drake too. Where are you, Drake? Hey, Drake, can you play for us? Um, okay, and I'll tell you in just a second what to play. Um, because I felt like it was very specific. Um, Drake, you're so awesome to work with me. So if you want freedom from addiction, I'm going to ask you to come up here. I know that's like 
not the funnest thing to do, but um, but if that's what you want, come on up. And um, and so I just saw us singing Jesus Loves Me. Can you do Jesus Loves Me for us? Jesus Loves Me, this I know. Okay. So because it's all about Jesus, it actually has nothing to do with with you make the choice to repent, to recognize and repent. And you've got all these people behind you believing for you, for your freedom. So I just, like, I know God wants it so much. And so um, so we're just going to believe with you, and we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me, and we're going to pray for you. And I'm just believing heaven is opening up for healing for you guys. Okay, y'all come pick one of these people, and we're going to sing this over them. So just come put your arms around one of these people and believe for them. We're going to sing over them.